Hello again, and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and this week I'm joined by one of EC's regular contributors, Tom Grunshaw, as uh, Tim and Bez are busy in Vanuatu covering the East Asia Pacific sub-regional competition. Uh, welcome, Tom. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me on, Nick. It's a pleasure again. Uh, yeah, not so bad. Uh, nice quiet day, so looking forward to this. Yep, plenty of cricket to discuss as always. Uh, just so that our listeners are kept in the loop, uh, we have an update from Tim and Bez recorded at the ground in Port Vila, which we'll cross to at the end of the show. Uh, but for now, we'll just have a look at all the other cricket that's been going on around the emerging world, and there's been a lot. Uh, we can start with another qualifying tournament, in fact, namely the Africa Women's Under-19s World Cup qualifier. Uh, hosted in Botswana, it featured nine teams. So Botswana, obviously, uh, Malawi, Mozambique, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Tanzania and Uganda, which is by far the most of any qualification region. Now, that's a credit to development efforts on the continent and especially to Rwanda, who qualified for their first ever ICC World Cup uh, in any format. It was a pretty exciting tournament all up. Some good tight games towards the back end in the semi-finals and the final. Uh, Rwanda, pretty clinical in the end in, in the final beating Tanzania. Uh, they bowled them out for 84 in 18 overs and chased it down in the 16th over, four wickets down. A uh, bit of a wobble after the openers got to none for 47 in the chase, but they, they pulled it together and, and showed a good level of maturity, actually, because, you know, in this tournament, 84 uh, could have been a winning total. Uh, it w- was quite a low-scoring tournament. Just running through the semifinals, uh, Uganda and Namibia, the losing semifinalists. Uh, Rwanda beat Uganda pretty comprehensively, actually. They, they posted 6 for 97 in their 20 overs uh, and, and bowled the Ugandans out for 41. Uh, Namibia got 8 for 107 in their 20 overs, but Tanzania chased it down in the 19th over, four wickets down, so pretty comfortable win. Uh, in that one, um, it's it's sort of it's hard to criticise them too much for losing. It's a tough format with only one, uh, you know, one one team going through to the Under-19s World Cup. Namibia, I thought, were a bit off the pace. They had a couple of good individual performers, but maybe just lacking the depth because their women's program is is just a little bit newer than some of these other African teams, which have really been putting a lot of effort into the women's game. Tanzania, the losing finalists, is another one. And in the senior women's side of things, they've been going from strength to strength. So, yeah, a bit unlucky to miss out. Uh, and, and same again for Uganda, who've, who've been really good. Basically one of the next best teams coming through at the associate women's level. Yeah, what, what did you make of the tournament, Tom? Great effort from Rwanda to make their, their first ICC event. Yeah, it was quite an entertaining tournament on the whole. As you say, nine teams into one spot is uh, quite tight um, compared with the other reason, regions. Um, USA obviously got a bye. They were the only eligible team in, in their region. So, yeah, uh, Rwanda's first World Cup appearance at any level, which is quite impressive. And they'll be joining Indonesia as, as fellow first-timers as well. Uh, so quite a significant moment for Rwanda on the whole. But, yeah, I thought it was quite a competitive tournament. As you say, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda and Namibia all looked very competitive at the front end. Um Uganda and Namibia defeated in the semi-finals. They had played a, they only played three group matches, whereas Tanzania and Rwanda both played four, and so they had a an extra bit of time off between the the group stages and the semi-finals, which maybe hindered their momentum a little bit more than it did Tanzania or Rwanda. But I thought, you know, um, it was a, a good testament to sort of the depth and the breadth of the uh, standard in women, of women's cricket in Africa uh, that we had four teams, and it really could have been anyone's tournament. 
Yeah, and I mean, Rwanda especially have a great story in terms of their women's program and the Cricket Builds Hope uh, organisation, which works out of the Gahanga Stadium, has been a, a great boon. And I remember a little while ago, we talked to Mary Miner, who, who works for Cricket Builds Hope and, and talking about their programs, helping educate women and girls with cricket. Um, so, so that's a great story. Tanzania, yeah, it's one of these tournaments where you want all the teams to make it through. And we have kind of discussed, uh, you know, the, the the issues of having so many teams in this region and, and not many teams in the other regions. And that's another question we can talk about uh, another time. But a nice little uh, nugget unearthed by David Ager, um, Rwanda's only other World Cup appearance in any team sport was the under-17s football world cup in 2011 and that was uh the the men's team so no appearances in world cups of any sport that we're aware of for the women's team and i think this just goes to show you know this is an area where the icc should be putting a lot of effort you know because there is so much growth happening so quickly and it's a space where you know if you can solidify that enthusiasm you can really build a strong market for cricket regionally and we can talk about the african uh, t20 cup which is another regional competition happening a bit later but you know if these teams can build up the you know the regional rivalries and and create a market for cricket in africa i think it's only going to help the game overall to grow and and you know that's kind of what the icc is theoretically all about yeah, absolutely. Uh, and to uh, add to uh, D- David's little nugget of information, um, Rwanda have never had a Olympic or Commonwealth Games medal uh, to date. So this is really quite a significant um, sporting achievement for them to to make what is only the, their second really global event. So yeah, we have a uh, complete lineup for the tournament now uh, for the first ever Under-19 Women's World Cup. Um, so five associate teams will be playing USA, who qualified by default, Scotland, Indonesia, Rwanda, and UAE, uh, the five associates. Um, so Rwanda and Indonesia um, are both making their debuts. And uh, a little nugget of information that I've dug up off Twitter, uh, credit to Krishna Kumar for this. I don't know if he listens to the pod, but if he does, well, well done for this. Uh, Rwanda and Indonesia will be the 32nd and 33rd ICC members to play at a World Cup. I think the 31st was Japan at the last under-19s World Cup, or one before last. Uh, they, they would have been 31st, and then Rwanda will be... 32nd in Indonesia, 33rd when the tournament starts in South Africa in January. Yeah, and I think it just, again, it shows that, you know, these regional development efforts are starting to pay dividends. And the under-19s program in Indonesia is another exciting area of growth. And, and the fact that, you know, it, it is in that East Asia Pacific region and they, they got past PNG, who've traditionally been the powerhouse in the region, shows once more that cricket's on the up. And, and Indonesia, I mean, that's a whole other story in terms of, you know, their women's program and, and how much effort they're putting into that. But uh, yeah, it, it should be good to see all these teams at the Under-19s World Cup. Hopefully they can put up a bit more of a fight than, you know, Nigeria and Japan ended up doing in their appearances. But, you know, just getting there, as we've discussed, is a huge achievement for, well, for all all of the associate teams. There's a great pathway, and this kind of goes back into the point that um, Nate and I were discussing last week that there's a you know a great pathway and you know extensive qualifying for all of the teams except the full members who just go there because they're full members and I, I really don't see how that's sustainable when you've got nine teams coming through in the Africa region to say that you know Zimbabwe and South Africa just get to cruise through on the fact that they're in the right club I, I, don't, I just don't see how that's fair at all but yeah again Tanzania very close after uh, they missed out to Uganda <laughs> on, on net run rate for qualifying for the uh, the men's under-19s World Cup. 
that that happened this year. And I guess just a, another point to look at is there's a lot of experience in these teams, and and this is a function of again all the all the cricket that's going on in Africa with the Kubuka and and various other uh, regional tournaments happening. You know, Henriette Ashimwe, who was the start of the show for Rwanda. She's already played 40 plus T20Is for Rwanda's senior team, and a number of the um, the, the strong performers uh, from Uganda and Namibia and Tanzania have also played a fair bit of cricket at senior level as well. So it just goes to show, you know, it's not rocket science, but the more cricket you play, the, the better you get, basically. And just looking at how low scoring this competition was, on the one hand, that was kind of good because it made for exciting matches where no one was really out of it and, until, you know, <laughs> until the last ball was bowled. But at the same time, it's a chronic issue for associate teams and especially women's associate teams where the batting often does struggle because they, they don't necessarily get that much practice at, at a high level. So basically, the only real solution is to play more cricket. And so it's good that we're getting more women's cricket in in the african region but yeah they just need to get on the park yeah as as um, a, a fairly terrible cricketer myself i can tell you that bowling is a lot easier to learn than batting um but yeah you're getting the, that level of uh, match practice going up going up the levels is really the the way to to improve so the more cricket they get at a high level the, the better they'll become just wanted to roll back as well on tanzania they made step forwards on in all four of their teams really the senior men senior women and the uh the, the juniors men's and women's teams uh they look like they could be come a force to rec- be reckoned with in east africa in the the coming years so that's good to see they'll join kenya and uganda in that kind of rivalry and tanzania had won the Kwibuka tournament in rwanda earlier this year they beat kenya in that, that eight team tournament so testament to their level of cricket and just as a reminder, the 2023 Under-19s World Cup uh, will be hosted in South Africa in January, and that'll be in the T20 format. Uh, so that's what Rwanda can look forward to on their in their calendar. Uh, so not too far away, getting pretty close. And uh, in terms of other qualifying tournaments that are going on, we've just seen Thailand, Zimbabwe, USA and UAE uh, warm up for the Women's T20 World Cup qualifier. Uh, they played a quadrangular series uh, in the UAE, played between the 10th and the 13th of September. Zimbabwe came out on top, uh, winning the round robin undefeated. Thailand came second, USA came third, and the UAE were last with no victories. Uh, a de facto final between Thailand and Zimbabwe uh, looked, you know, Thailand looked to be gone for all money. Uh, they fought back, but Zimbabwe managed to get over the line by three wickets. Uh, the USA looked good in patches, uh, but they also got thrashed by Thailand. UAE, I think, with a lot of soul-searching to do, you know, after a sort of 18 months of very successful uh, work from the UAE women's team, um, to lose all three of their matches here in pretty comprehensive fashion uh, doesn't look good just before a major qualifying event. Uh, and, and Zimbabwe, you know, seems to be improved since, um, you know, they've, they've had a pretty good last sort of six to 12 months Zimbabwean cricket. Uh, on the women's side, seems to have been making some progress. Uh, they've introduced central contracts. Uh, they've played a couple of domestic tournaments. Uh, they, they seem to be, um, yeah, making making all the right moves uh, to to try and improve their women's side. But uh, this little series, a bit disappointing. There wasn't a final, but uh, a good kind of barometer of where these four teams are before the qualifiers. Yeah, I think it's uh, appropriate that you called it a warm up. These games have all been played in Abu Dhabi at, I believe, the Tolerance Server, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, so obviously, that's quite an open field, and they're playing warm in the yeah. day, in in the heat of the day in September in Abu Dhabi. So they're they're definitely warm. Um, yeah, I think 
it was a bit closer than perhaps it looked. Uh, Thailand may be struggling a little bit with the bat going into this, uh, but they did uh, give Zimbabwe a scare with the ball towards the back end of that uh, that final. I think Zimbabwe lost six wickets for about 20 runs, uh, which, which nearly pulled the game back. But I think Zimbabwe just got that a little bit too far ahead. So, yeah, I think those two will be quite competitive come the real thing. And, yeah, on the UAE, I guess it just shows the kind of step up from regional to global level. They were obviously, um, this is their first time playing at the World Cup qualifiers. So it perhaps just shows that that gulf between a regional level and the high performance level that they need to bridge if they're going to sustain it. Yeah, it's interesting. The UAE women beat Thailand in the under-19s Asia qualifying tournament and which sort of seemed like a bit of a I don't know if passing of the torch is necessarily <laughs> maybe it's a bit early to say that but uh kind of showed where both teams were at in in terms of the, um especially with the UAE building such a strong domestic sort of talent production line uh but at the moment Thailand is still the benchmark for associate women's cricket teams and and we saw that uh, in this tournament, and you know that that game against Zimbabwe kind of sums up their approach in that they don't give up. They don't, you know, even even when Zimbabwe won for won for eighty, basically they kept trying to take wickets and and they kept fighting, and that all hold them in good stead uh, come the qualifiers. Uh, you know that that attitude that we know and love from Thailand that they they just always they're always there, they're always trying. Um, but yeah, Zimbabwe definitely looked impressive in this tournament, and you know, looking ahead to the main event, we've got. Bangladesh, who are definitely uh, the team to beat after, well, I mean, their last appearance was uh, at the Women's World Cup in March, where they looked a lot better than they have in the past. You know, they, they were significantly improved over some of their previous uh, ICC event performances. They haven't played since then, though, so that could be an opportunity kind of early uh, in the tournament for someone, uh, you know, if they're a bit rusty. Uh, whereas, and, and again, as we've discussed, Zimbabwe look a significantly better team uh, than, than 2019. Of course, they weren't at the qualifiers in 2019 due to their suspension. And Namibia took their place out of the African region. Uh, Ireland also have been looking uh, pretty good. They, they played a, a series against Scotland recently where they looked better than Scotland. Whereas uh, in the regional qualifying, Scotland actually got past them. So, you know, if, if these teams have improved, it's going to make it tough for Thailand to qualify again, which is, uh, I, I guess, what we're all hoping for uh, at Emerging Cricket, uh, you know, Thailand being uh, one, one of our favourites. But, um, yeah, highly, highly competitive-looking field. The Women's T20 World Cup qualifier, it starts on the 18th of September and it runs all the way to the 25th of September. We have Group A with Bangladesh, Ireland, Scotland, and USA, and we have Group B with PNG, Thailand, UAE, and Zimbabwe. So, you know, out of out of those two groups, there's really only maybe one or two teams that you could discount entirely, and, and even then, you know, upsets can still happen. So, very competitive, only two qualifying spots available. You would imagine that most teams will be desperate to avoid Bangladesh in the knockout semi-final, which is basically, uh, which is how Thailand qualified last time. But you know, I guess on the other hand, uh, if if you want to, you know, if you want to be a, a top level team, you're going to have to face good opposition eventually. So you know, you you can't just uh, run away from a fight. Yeah, it's going to be a, a fiercely competitive tournament for sure. There's certainly um, a, a few teams that you you, you can you know write off. Um, Bangladesh, as you say, the team to beat. They played the ODI World Cup earlier this year. I think they got one win. They beat Pakistan. So that's sort of a, a measure of where they've been. But then, as you say, they haven't played any matches since. 
I think there's one uh, official warm-up game on Friday before the tournament starts, uh, but that'll have been their, their only cricket as as a team between the between March and now. So maybe Ireland might catch them off guard on the first day, but I think that I think otherwise they'll be quite strong. And then yeah, um, so Ireland and Scotland are in that group. Ireland come off a two-nil win um, in Edinburgh uh, between the two sides. As you said, they they were beaten by Scotland in the in the qualify in the regional qualifying round. Uh, but since then, Ireland have moved on to a professional contract system, and that's probably where they've made that step up. And as you say, Zimbabwe have have got contracts now as well. So both Ireland and Zimbabwe have definitely made steps forward since the last qualifier in, in, in 2019. And then in the other group, uh, yeah, Zimbabwe and Thailand, I think you're looking at to go through. UAE obviously look a little bit off the pace in the, the quadrangular and PNG haven't played much cricket at all recently. So in fact, they missed the, the World Cup qualifiers last year uh, for COVID. So they, I don't think they've had much cricket full stop. So, yeah, I think you're probably looking at Bangladesh, Ireland, uh, Thailand and Zimbabwe making the semifinals. And then, yeah, from there, it, it's anyone's game in, in, in any order. Yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, Thailand have got that experience uh, from the, the last qualifier and the last World Cup that they'll, they'll make it through. But it, it's anyone's guess, really. Yeah, I mean, Thailand, before the women's 50 over World Cup, they, they played a series against Zimbabwe and against a, a South African sort of emerging South African 11 and they credited themselves very well in both of those series uh, they won quite a number of matches so they they probably you know you would think on on roughly on level pegging with Zimbabwe so yeah that 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 group game is probably going to be the the key matchup in in um in group B for them because obviously if they qualify number 1 and presumably uh Bangladesh are going to qualify number 1 from their group um you know Thailand uh, will avoid Bangladesh again, but you know they they beat Bangladesh last year at the Women's uh, Cricket World Cup qualifier in a rain-shortened chase, obviously. But uh, Summer and Tipok scored a half century to uh, get them over the line there. Yeah, uh, which I mean we don't need to relitigate the um, absurd injustice of Thailand's uh, <laughs> finishing on top of their group and and not qualifying due to uh, the, the tournament being cancelled and and various other issues with the rankings. But yeah, so you know it's it's not to say that Thailand definitely would lose if they did come up against Bangladesh. So, geez, I don't know. Um, are, are we doing predictions, Tom? Um, I think, you know, the last time I made a prediction on an EC on, on something like this, it went badly wrong. But uh, yeah, I think we'll, 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 we'll go with Bangladesh and Thailand to, to qualify. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly what my, uh, my heart is telling me. Uh, so let's, let's go with that. Poor old Zimbabwe to miss out again. I, I really like Zimbabwe's women team. I, I think, as I said earlier, they've they've made a lot of progress and they've been um, doing a lot of things right on the women's side of things, and they've they've been rewarded in a lot of the regional tournaments they've played as well. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of teams to like here, and and this is this is one of the problems. Looking a bit more broadly, with the fact that the ICC uh, is continuing to have such a limited women's uh, World Cup, both in 50 over and 20 over cricket. You know, the men's World Cup is going to 20 teams and, and the women's T20 World Cup is still only at 10 teams, um, moving to 12 very slowly. But, you know, there's a lot of good teams here. And is it really fair that only two of them go through? I, I don't know. Yeah, and it's one of those, again, where we've got the crossover semifinals, the, the winner-takes-all games, uh, and the loser, you know, goes home with nothing. So... 
only two spaces from an eight-team tournament's not fantastic, um, and we'll have to put up with this for a, for a couple more years before we get a slight expansion. Not ideal at all. Yeah, 2026, the uh, ICC Women's T20 World Cup is scheduled to have 12 teams, which, I mean, is still not fantastic. Uh, I think the ICC is seriously underestimating the strength that exists in the women's game at, at that lower end. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams here that can bet each other on any given day. Um, but yes, just to repeat, the uh, women's qualifier for the uh, next year's T20 World Cup uh, runs from the 18th to the 25th of September, and the main event is scheduled to happen in South Africa between the 9th and the 26th of February uh, 2023, uh, with two teams going through from uh, this month's qualifiers. Now, another series that's um, currently ongoing is the uh, Cricket World Cup League 2 Tri-Series uh, being hosted in PNG, their first cricket at home uh, since the T20 qualifiers that they hosted uh, way back in 2019, and it's their first 50-over matches uh, since Scotland toured for the now-defunct uh, World Cricket League Championship way back in 2017, um, which, you know, um, there was a big ton to Callum McLeod in the first match, a tipping, typical battling chase of 200 for PNG in the second uh, which is something you know we can we can talk about that 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 sort of formula that they have, where <laughs> their openers go okay, then there's a bit of a middle order collapse. Asad Vala rescues them in the middle order, not really any, um, not really much support. They rely on the tail to scrape their way to 200, and then they bowl seven or eight bowlers who all get one or two wickets, and and that's basically what happened in the um, the first two matches of this tri series. Um, they were playing against the USA, and Namibia is set to join a bit later on. Um, it was it's very exciting cricket. So the first match was a tie, um, uh, with the USA setting PNG 205, and PNG all bowled out in 49.5 overs. So, yeah, very tight uh, there. And then the second match, PNG managed to just scrape home. They set 211, uh, nine wickets down off their 50 overs, a pretty classic PNG performance. And the USA were bowled out for 185 in the 48th over. Um, PNG just doing PNG things, but the USA, I think, really playing kind of, yeah, not very good cricket. Basically, just some very, very silly shots in both of those batting innings. Um, you know, Jaskaran Malhotra, Gajanan Singh, Nasag Patel all with soft dismissals in the first match after getting the USA out of trouble early. And then, you know, in the second match, they were one for 108 and then three for 150, chasing a fraction over 200. You, you really shouldn't lose. You know, they lost seven for 36 to just totally collapse. So many slogs that went to fielders. Um, some some good bowling efforts from PNG. Uh, newcomer Semi Kamea, who made his debut earlier in the year, uh, he looks a good addition to the team with with just a bit of extra zip, slightly faster than a lot of their kind of samey uh, all-rounders that they have, uh, and and that left arm angle as well, just a, a point of difference. Uh, that's especially important, I think, since Nasana Pakana, he's only played a couple of games this year, and and he, I'm not quite sure what's going on. I think he might have been having some recurring injuries and and some off-field stuff with um, you know family members. Uh, passing away and, and, and various things along those lines. Um, but yeah, kind of same, same, same from PNG and the USA. 
just really, uh, yeah, really falling in a heap in both games. Yeah, maybe it's for the best that uh, Nate Hayes is not recording with us this week because I think he was fuming on uh, on, on on Tuesday morning. Um, yeah, those two games they're, they're an interesting time zone for us in Europe because I'm I'm getting up and there's maybe about an hour's play left, which is quite interesting because they've been two great finishes. That's that's how like ninety percent of associate cricket is uh, for us over in Australia. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, yeah. so really, both teams have almost conspired to lose both games. Uh, USA got themselves into winning positions in both and threw it away. And then in the, in the first game where they tied, um, PNG, PNG were seven down. They wrestled it back. Um, and then there was just some dreadful batting at the end. I think they needed oh. three off seven balls. Um, and going, in, going into the... Um, I think Cecil Bow probably tried to attack one off Jasko and Malhotra, which he didn't need to do. He really only needed to block it. And then the following ball, Chad Soper, you know, skies one, more height than he's got distance, down mid-off's throat, and uh, both the set batters are out, um, nine down and three to win. And yeah, you can you could just sort of see the tie looming, really. It was a uh, poor, poor cricket from both sides. And on the, on the second one, yeah... Um, that was an awful collapse from 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 USA on the face of it. Um, they really should not have got themselves into that position. But it's another one where they've lost a, a heap of wickets to spin, which does seem to be a, an Achilles heel of theirs, especially on these slow tracks. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Asad Vala took, I think, three wickets for not very many runs uh, in, in that collapse in the second match. Um, again, you know, Asad Vala kind of holding everything together for PNG. I'm don't know what they'll do when he retires, but uh, you know that's a tomorrow problem for PNG at the moment. He's uh, he's still uh, captain, fantastic, great show at least for the home crowd. Um, they got a pretty good support in. Um, the grandstands looked looked pretty well attended, uh, which which is good. And and there was a, you know there was a good atmosphere at at Amini Park. Um, yeah, that shot from Chad Soper. I don't know. I mean. The guys, the guys played enough cricket to know better. I, I don't know what he was thinking. It was, <laughs> you know, the USA just played like buffoons, and then Chad Soper and Ceci Bao kind of tried to match them. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd I'd be fuming too if I was Nate Hayes. The USA, dear idea, that they they really look like they're in disarray. And the Namibian spinners, you know, Bernard Scholtz, Yana Kolof to Eaton, they'll be they'll be licking their lips, looking at this as they um. You know they come in for the back end of the tri series, and Namibia has been a bit inconsistent, and they're they're you know sitting on nine wins, nine losses from their eighteen games, uh, have been a bit inconsistent. Um, so this is this is golden opportunity for them to to really sort of catch up with USA and and UAE who are kind of making the running for the for that third spot. You know Scotland look like they're a bit too far ahead for any of the chasing teams to catch them, but um, you know if the USA looking pretty shabby here and and png as we know i mean um it, it's it's been good so far that they've managed to get over the line in one of the games and, and tie the other but you know that's only their second ma- second win in 22 matches so namibia will probably be looking at claiming all four points on offer from their matches against png and if they can do a clean sweep of the series that puts them in in very good position to to really make it a challenge for direct qualification to the 2023 Cricket World Cup qualifier uh, and 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 break free of the log, log jam. Um, and the USA, I mean, they built up a fair bit of momentum in their last few tri-series and they were making a pretty good charge towards that third spot. 
but now having dropped these points. Now they've only got one and a half try series left to to make that final push. You know, so so they've probably slipped out of third place realistically just with these results um, in matches that they would have basically they would have hoped to have won. Um, so yeah, golden opportunity for Namibia to pick up some points here. Yeah, it's um really costly drop points for the USA. Uh, you've got three teams in there, um, all averaging about a point per game, you know, a 50-50 win-loss ratio. Uh, so USA, UAE and Namibia are all about one point either side of that um, win-loss line. And then you've got Nepal just a little bit further back. And between third and sixth, the, the outcomes are, are quite significant. The, the third place team's going straight to the World Cup qualifier. Fourth and fifth uh, are, are going to the... Uh, qualifier playoff but will guarantee that they retain ODI status and uh, the sixth place team goes to the playoff but doesn't have ODI status guaranteed and could get relegated to the challenge leagues so those the, the consequences of those drop points are quite significant and as you say if Namibia come in this week and pick up you know three wins or four wins out of four uh, that could really you know shoot them up the table and put USA and the UAE under under a lot more pressure. So they, these are really consequential coming uh, games coming up that are head-to-heads, uh, USA and Namibia, which I think start overnight tonight. Uh, and then there's one more on the weekend uh, before Namibia play, in a, uh, play PNG. So, yeah, really huge games coming up, and we're starting to get to the tight end of this tournament. Well, that's it from Tom and me for today. But as promised, we've got a special mini-episode from regular hosts Tim Cutler and Daniel Beswick, recorded before the final results were in. So just to summarise, Vanuatu did manage to qualify out of their home sub-regionals. They posted 4 for 160 uh, in 16 overs of a rain-affected clash against the Cook Islands. Junior Kaltapau saved his best innings for last. He hit 60 uh, at the top of the order. Tomakanute Ritawa for the Cook Islands picked up a couple of wickets to go with the five-wicket haul he took against Fiji on the... The 14th, but in response, Cook Islands bowled out for 123 in 14.3 overs. They went hard, but they ultimately lost by 50 runs on the DLS method. Uh, Nalan Nipiko, the pick of the Vanuatu bowlers, with 4 for 12. So congratulations to Vanuatu for qualifying for the regional finals uh, on the qualifying pathway to the 2024 T20 World Cup. But for now, here's Tim and Bez. It's a warm welcome here in Port Vila. Merger Cricket Podcast takes a slightly different turn here at the VCG where we've just been watching East Asia Pacific Qualifier A action. Uh, next to me is a man everyone knows very well, key member of the podcast, in Tim Cutler, currently uh, a little nervous, I should say, but ultimately relieved. We've just started recording after Vanuatu's victory today over Samoa. Uh, been an excellent tournament, just washing up uh, the action today Vanuatu chasing down with four balls left to spare essentially means that they keep their destiny in their own hands and just looking at you Tim you've been rather nervous all morning you are a little bit more calm in your persona now yes indeed Um, I have these parallel lines of uh, of nervousness number one was having everything ready for the tournament um, and then having the weather backing it up um, and that's all been great Jamal Vera Pierre Chilia done a great job in getting the ground and volunteers and everything ready and thankfully despite a bit of th- a lot of threats a couple of days before the tournament with warm-ups 
disrupted and training's happening moved around the sun and weather have been amazing so that way is good but then yes Vanuatu's performance also made for a few high blood pressure moments but uh, as you say as we go into this afternoon of the second last game day currently two wins ahead of Fiji and the Cooks who are about to square off this afternoon and Vanuatu's destiny is in their own hands and well, I just hope that it's, it's worked out before the last game because I'm not sure my heart can take it. Speaking from a Vanuatu Cricket Association point of view there, Tim Cutler, it's been a great tournament here for uh, the neutral. If you're hearing some action being picked up by the microphones, the Cook Islands boys just going through some late fielding drills and prep for their match against Fiji today. Fiji walking over uh, towards us. They'll be batting first the Cook Islands won the toss and elected to bowl it's been a historic tournament for them they've won two T20Is now on the bounce they come into this particular game where they can still cause havoc in this competition as you mentioned Vanuatu now with the destiny in their own hands but if they were to kind of keep the pressure on a win and then beat Vanuatu tomorrow that's the the beauty of their campaign they can actually do the damage against your Vanuatu side. They've been a real surprise packet of sorts, some great individual performances. Mara Ave would be one man probably leading the case for player of the tournament. Um, they've been a great story here. Samoa have been unlucky in patches. They've had good moments, but only one win to their name as we record. Fiji uh, in the hunt with two wins of their own. It has meant a pretty interesting dynamic in the context of this tournament. I think Overall, everyone has deserved at least one victory, and we just come into this game seeing what the Cook Islands are all about. And talking about sporting achievements from the Cook Islands, it's definitely something we want to bring up. You know, coming into this, had only won a handful, had barely won an international match in cricket before, and definitely not one with any match of international status. They were able to do that with two T20I wins on the Trotters. We see a good little pickup by. Cook Islands team manager Rahul Patil cleaning up. It's good to see. Uh, backing up in the fielding drill, but looking at some of the sporting achievements in the history of the Cook Islands. It's a place where less than 20 people live on the islands. 20,000 people, I should say. <laughs> 20,000 people live on the on the islands, and then outside, a lot of uh, immigrated to Australia or New Zealand. And looking throughout their sporting history, have only won just the one Commonwealth Games medal ever, a bronze medal in pairs lawn bowls which they won at Gold Coast 2018 and outside of that they haven't won a medal they've sent athletes to the Olympics uh, every Olympic since 1988 in Seoul haven't won an Olympic, Olympic medal uh, I've qualified for a Rugby League World Cup on two occasions, I don't think they've won a game in that, they'll be back in that a third time at the end of the year but just to bring it all back to cricket it just shows you just how big achievements like that can be in the context of a country and I'm sure talking to the likes of Raul Patil and others it means that you know, prospective sponsors and other people helping the game in that part of the world will certainly take notice, Tim. Yes, and we've been well, we've benefited from some great conversations with um, the team, especially the president, Grant Walker, who's an American who's lived in the Cook Islands for a number of years and has been spearheading the push, well, for, for, first for the Cook Islands to get the best team here possible, but also for the game to grow in that region, um, just saying how hard it is, the amount of funding that FIFA gives the Cook Islands, as we know from many podcasts that you know FIFA have guaranteed funding funding model for every one of their things, 205 members of 1.5 million US plus half a million 
if you have less than four million in the in reserves. And when you kind of apportion that over the eight thousand that actually reside in the, in the Cook Islands, uh, it goes a long way. Talking of the buses picking kids up and taking the training and all these stadiums, etc. Uh, you're up against it. So from a cricket point of view and the, the success here, it's hopefully going to be great for the sport with people in the Cooks taking notice, whether it's government or private enterprise who will get behind the sport, seeing that there's so much potential. And I think looking at the, the pathway to the World Cup, especially the men's side, now that it is a guaranteed place coming out of the region, there might be a little bit more impetus on that, whereas in the past, from an under-19s point of view, Yes, it was perhaps easily easier when you looked at it from regional, but now that Men's T20 World Cup is, I'd have to say, a step closer for the East Asia Pacific region, meaning that there's a guaranteed spot. You never know, we might see more investment and more Cook Islands kids playing the game. Yeah, it is important to contextualise that this tournament, part of the pathway for the 2024 T20 World Cup, the winner of this tournament goes on to the regional qualifier where uh, PNG and Philippines already are, and then the winner of the B qualifier which pits together Japan, South Korea and Indonesia. The winner of that will become the fourth team in the regional qualifier next year. Not the only cricket going on in the Pacific at the moment with cricket returning to PNG as well. Uh, but to keep it to this tournament, Tim, and you make a good point about the opportunities that it presents itself for the likes of the Cook Islands. To bring it back here to Vanuatu and, and bring international cricket back to the shores of, of Port Villa and in the Pacific. How important has it been for Vanuatu cricket in that we've had good crowds, especially on weekend action, and even during the weekdays here we've seen pretty good turnouts. You know, we've had school kids show up and watch cricket as well. Um, what's the sense around the, the community here in Villa and, and beyond? Really positive it has been, and that's in the context that there is a Melanesian spearhead group being the Melanesian Group of Nations Prime Minister's Cup football competition starting in a, in a couple of days time and there's been more cricket in the newspapers than there has been been football which has been good to see um, again similar to the story about the Cook Islands and the funding they get from FIFA it's a similar story in Vanuatu with the amount of support provided by the by FIFA by government um, have running a professional club competition on the, on the men's side anyway but it's been good to hear people talking about cricket and, and talking positively about cricket we had the president of the Republic of Vanuatu come to the Trophy Tour welcome ceremony on Wednesday last week. Uh, it was a week ago. It feels like a lot longer now. Um, and we also had the the caretaker Prime Minister as he is at the moment because Parliament has been dissolved and we're awaiting a, an election. But to have the Prime Minister wander in on, on Sunday morning it was too bad. It was against the Cook Islands in Vanuatu's poor, poor poorest performance um, of the tournament thus far. But I think importance of using this as somewhat of a proof of concept for international sport international cricket and making making an event of it i think was one thing to be done with the t10 blast in 2020 of sort of taking the opportunity of no other cricket going on around the world to beam it to the world but there's a lot of cricket going on at the moment but have this stream going out there um, I think for us provides a, a really good example of what we what we can do here, whether it's international cricket or indeed other events of touring teams. Um, of course, we're expecting the Australian men's and women's Indigenous teams early next year and hoping to to really turn that into an event as well, but all, all franchise tournaments in the future. It's a good point you make in regards to the advent of streaming. It's the first event that I can think of where we've had streaming like this at international level in the Pacific. I know the T10 
blast in COVID times really was you know some of the only sport on around the world at that point as the pandemic struck but looking at international cricket it's the first opportunity many of these players have been able to showcase their talents to the world I know we've seen Vanuatu a bit through Challenge League and and other events but the likes of the Cook Islands and we've seen a number of good individual performances there we've seen the emergence of a number of great stories out of the likes of Samoa and Fiji who we haven't really had the chance to talk about yet but they've certainly had moments of their own and just the opportunity to you know obviously create a bit more exposure and gives the opportunity for, for these teams to showcase their talent to the world but what we have seen over just under the last week is that everyone here is just full of, of talented cricketers and talented players fulfilling unbelievable things on the cricket field whether it be with the ball or with the bat and we saw Josh Razu take one of the greatest catches of all time and over two and a half people uh, two and a half million people again <laughs> two and a half million people I think have seen that catch as well across the ICC's Instagram page and uh, probably on Facebook Reels as well but there has been just so many great individual performances that thankfully for us we've been able to celebrate and it's been great to, to watch around the world well I think we'll have to look at those numbers again I think there's two million people who've watched it and then you've watched it half a million times <laughs> um, and if you haven't Fair. looked it up head over to the ICC's Instagram or Facebook page or their reels section and find well there's two catches there's Jared Allen's catch in game one against Fiji and then Joshua Razu's against Samoa was I, exactly as you said I think well definitely the best I've ever seen live and really hard to try and find one just in everything that he had to do um, not only catching it in the first place with the one hand, but then on going over the boundary, throwing up and, and gathering himself, it was almost a perfect catch. Um, looking at it, but yeah, in context of all these these other teams and what we've been able to see, you know, the Vanuatu has been lucky. You know, as you mentioned, that we've just come back from Canada of the Pre World Cup Challenge League, but every other team here hasn't played together for over three years. Um, you know, we look back, you have to go as far back as the Pacific Games for two of these teams the last time they played and the Cooks even further, further yep. beyond, beyond that. And it's been interesting to see the makeup of the sides that come in and how they've gelled and then how the tournament has gone on and how they've progressed. You know, Fiji have brought a side 100% based in Fiji um, where both Samoa and the Cooks have brought teams more or less half and half from locally based players and then players based overseas um, with a real heavy lean for obvious reasons for the Cooks towards New Zealand and likewise with Samoa with I think only the two players coming in from Australia for them but another five or six from uh, based in, in New Zealand I think they're sort of the elephant in the room as well has been just the Cooks had a player ruled ineligible uh, mid-tournament um, Hayden Dixon had actually represented New Zealand under-19s in the 2020 World Cup and that is less than three years ago and the stand down period moving to an associate whether you're moving from a, a full member or an associate is three years so that was only discovered mid-tournament and from then he was deemed ineligible and hasn't been able to play so we're waiting really what's going to, going to happen there because I don't think there's a precedent of a player being deemed ineligible mid-tournament and then being more or less stood down and then what effect that'll have on the three games that he played noting that the Cooks lost their opening two matches against Samoa and Fiji and then, and then defeated Vanuatu before that, that change was made so I think we're all well, intrigued, um, it's probably putting it lightly as to what will happen from ICC land there, especially well the fact is mid-tournament now but the effect of what it could have um, when we get to the end of the final game tomorrow which 
ironically, it's yeah. Vanuatu against Cook Islands. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely not the last we'll hear about all of that. And yeah, I can't think of too many instances where that's happened. We have seen uh, issues where it has been brought up in the past. Uh, there was a Qatari player, Andre uh, Beranger, I believe his name is. I'm just trying to rack my brain and make sure that's 100% correct. But yeah, the Cook Islands, again, a great story. And to bring it back to... Uh, Samoa and Fiji Fiji looking uh, to keep themselves alive here as we are recording a couple of good victories and they're a side with plenty of experience they've all been around quite a while but also there's a handful of players from their under 19 squad from the 2016 under 19 World Cup and one of those players uh, Penny Volavola Vunawanga been probably the standout player for them especially with the bat uh, a couple of other performances the likes of Petra Thubinbula bowling up top in the power play and then bowling at death is probably the pick of their bowlers John Wesley Batini Bulu the captain took four for 31 yesterday as well uh, a number of individual performances but yeah Penny Vola Vola Vunawanga uh, putting his hand up for not only best name of the tournament but one of the best batters in the tournament as well Tim yeah, there's been some great matches and great finishes here. We saw Fiji chase down, unfortunately, sort of generally always against Samoa, but Fiji chase down a target in the, uh, the high 140s, and the Cook Islands do um, do the same again with them getting a last ball, two runs to win, uh, running two down to, to long on. It's a, uh, it's a great individual performance, as you described. Um, Ave, the Cook Islands skipper at the moment, sort of top of runs, top of player of the part of the tournament points on the uh, the Crick Club's uh, points list. Um, and, it, yeah, it's been interesting when you look at some of these teams that you may think are relying really heavily on, on two or three players have actually come through and, and the players sort of batting five, six, seven, Fiji and, and Cook Islands in the last couple of wins have actually come through with the good. So I think that the level of skill here is a lot higher than we expected, or I say better than we would expected, and especially after so long yeah. of no international cricket, it's even better to see. And just hopefully that means a lot more cricket for these teams as we look forward to these qualifiers being every two years. Um, with that men's T20 World Cup being a 20 team event from 2024 being on every two years, meaning there'll be a lot more consistent Pacific cricket. Yeah, I think that's the concern. After this tournament, it's a question of what next. You know, at least for you guys in Vatuatu, you've got Challenge League 50 over cricket and the pathway to the 2023 Cricket World Cup there uh, on your itineraries and your calendars. But for the other teams here, it's a question of what next. And I think the opportunity here is to gain some impetus to really move in to maybe some bilateral tours between the Pacific Island countries or maybe some other events, Pacific Games, etc., etc. So that's definitely something to think about. One team that we haven't really had a chance to mention as yet is Samoa, and they've been really unlucky. It feels like the way the bounce has balled at times, the ball has bounced at times, it's been um, a case of them always being almost at the wrong end of it. Um, they've got a good side. They're run by a, a smart captain in Jimmy Baker, who only took the role at the last minute after Sean Salia was called up by New Zealand A., um, it's meant that he's had to sort of rally the troops around him. They had another late pullout in Benjamin Mailata, who played uh, Pacific tournaments in the region for eight, nine years. There, he goes back a long way in the Samoan team. And so they were sort of behind the eight ball before the tournament had even started. And yeah, it's just been one of those things where if it rains and it, it sort of pours sometimes, everything that 
could have gone wrong in their campaign almost has. They've been rather unlucky in fairness. Yeah, off the top of our heads, I think you know we could start naming a few things. They had a, a potential wicket be nullified because a ball that had been hit for six, the ball, a couple of balls prior, had been thrown back from over the fence onto and it on, land on the field of play. And whilst the square leg umpire had alerted the strikers and umpire who then uh, put their arm up, that ball was still bowled and the shot was still played at that genuine ball and it ballooned to the the catcher there at point. And I think that battle went on to play a key, uh, this was Samoa against Fiji, but a, a key innings. Um, then had a catch um, on the boundary ostensibly taken and thrown back in and, and, and snaffled only to have the, not that a decision was ever given, but uh, it'd be deemed not out because that all happened right in front of the match officials area and where the third umpire is, the third umpire, we're not talking about third umpire looking at TV, third umpire saw that the fielder clearly stepped on the rope and was able to communicate as such to the centre and that's what happens. It's just unlikely that if that, if that had happened on the other side of the field, the ball was probably going to be played and if he thinks he, he was in and nobody else saw it, it would, have, it would have gone on. And a couple of other calls, I'd say probably waist-high no-ball calls that have been borderline, I could probably argue have, have gone against them. Um, so we saw two very similar ones today, one off the last ball the innings of the Samoan batting innings not be called, but then one during the Vanuatu innings that they looked to me from side on and where our commentary position is be called. So, look, I'll... You'd say that you come. Some of those umpiring decisions are very subjective, and you hope that they're consistent. But they're just they've just piled up for some of them. Yeah, they? yeah, and I think that's a yeah great way to sum it up. We're running out of time here, given that we're not far away from another match as we record this podcast for you all, Tim uh, and myself, Daniel Beswick here with you, Nick and Tom Grunshaw doing a great job uh, making sure the podcast is covering everything around the world this week. We uh, by our own admittance probably reflect and say that we haven't watched too much cricket outside the cricket that's been in front of us in the commentary box so we've thoroughly enjoyed it, it's been a great tournament and uh, on behalf of everyone here uh, hope you are enjoying the East Asia Pacific Qualifier A here from Port Vila.